Hello, everybody. It's Law School in Brief, your your favorite podcast without any intro music. It's me. <laughs> uh, and I'm here. I'm Megan. And uh, this week is our 18th episode, and it is a little bit... It is? Yeah. Can you believe that? No. <laughs> kind of lines up perfectly with the end of our semesters, right? Like episode 20 is going to be right yeah. when we're done with finals. Yeah. yeah. Which is so fun and also so scary. Yeah. Ex- exams are soon. So soon. Too soon. Yeah. Um, but, but we're I'm taking... we could hang out this week. Yeah. I mean, this is what I look forward to every week. Um, taking a brief interlude from the almost crushing anxiety <laughs> that, that I feel in law school. Um, but that's an aside because today is a special <laughs> episode. Today... We are doing what I'm calling like the 11th hour Hail Mary study session episode of Law School in Brief. And this is special because we are going to be submitting this to a multimodal writing competition that Elon University puts on every year. Yeah. So basically, um, we are going to be submitting the podcast along with, drum roll, please. Oh gosh, <laughs> the the hypothetical situations and scenarios that I have drafted and created from my own brain space. Um, so anybody who is in law school and wants practice or anybody who's thinking about law school and wants to know what practice in law school looks like or anybody who just feels particularly passionate about Bob Ross and the Rio Grande, they can, hey. <laughs> oh yeah. They can download these hypos (laughs) and work through them and I'll, uh, they're going to come with a little answer sheet. So there's your multimodal through the law school or through the, for the whole university. It's for the whole university. Um, so there are nine different categories and they're from the different schools. So, uh, nine awards are given out and, There are two awards per school, so like two for the School of Arts, two for the School of Business, two for the School of Law, et cetera, et cetera. And then there's one overall grand prize. But, you know, we're not in it for the prizes. I just just got so excited that like Law School in Brief, our podcast that we love so dearly and that we work on so often could be (laughs) submitted to something. How great is that? Yeah. Yeah. Good find. And yeah. judges, if you're listening, like, hey, what's up? <laughs> yeah. Hey, judges. So, hey. <laughs> so a little bit about our podcast before we jump into these aforementioned hypotheticals. Um, so I'm Megan and my co-host is Lydia. Hi. Hi. And we are both first generation law students. Um, and when we were just we little law school hopefuls, we were studying for the LSAT at the same time and scouring the internet for information at the same time about what it's like to actually be a law student. And we had a really hard time finding much outside of the canned, yet I will say now very true, law school is hard (laughs) narrative. (laughs) 
So Lydia actually had this amazing idea to make this podcast. Um, and I just got tacked on as an aside, but I'm so grateful. Okay. <laughs> you were not tacked on as an aside. <laughs> Y'all, I had this idea and was like, Megan is so busy and she is going to really need to focus on school. So like, I need to make this pitch really good. Guys, Megan is like my good friend, but I, I wrote this <laughs> pitch that was, I think it was like 1200 words or something. I was like, here's the whole vision. Here's why it needs to be you who's on the podcast with me. Like, <laughs> we could do this <laughs> and then she's it, like yeah <laughs> yeah one word response yeah but so like we said this is our 18th episode and it's basically a first person in real time account of law school uh and we kind of hope that people that are considering law school will listen to this podcast and get an idea for what it's like and folks in law school can tune in and commiserate with us about how amazing and awful and anxiety ridden and I don't know like just all the good and the bad and then folks that have gone to law school and graduated can listen to us and laugh and lean back in their very <laughs> plush leather armchairs in their corner office and, <laughs> and reminisce um but anyway I think Lydia and I make this so that we have a creative outlet and because we value access and community and we hoped that starting this podcast would get conversations going and make law school just generally feel more accessible for everybody. Um, so thanks for joining us as we fumble our way through our one L year and then probably our two and three L year. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's us. And our logo is a pair of briefs. <laughs> <laughs> no one, no one has like approached me about that. <laughs> really no one no one's been like you should change that and also no one's been like that's hilarious it's just complete <laughs> it's just acceptance it's a fact <laughs> yes it's, it's just, just our stamp <laughs> oh well lydia what days are your finals next week or the week after oh um so oh yeah next week next thursday december 5th is my first final and then Ours are kind of staggered. It's like Thursday, Monday, Thursday. So I'll do okay. next Thursday, torts. Then the Monday after that, um, property. And then the Thursday, like that's three days later, contracts. Okay. Yeah. What about you? So mine, I only have two uh, finals because um, we're on the trimesters. But my, my first one is Wednesday and it's torts and my second and last one is Saturday and that's civil oh. procedure. Yeah. Saturday. And then I'm done nice. for better or for worse. <laughs> so as anybody who's been listening to this podcast, at least for the last few weeks, know Lydia and I have been studying together and because the only class that we share in common <laughs> is torts, Y'all probably know a lot about tort law at this point. <laughs> um, so I figured that this week we could talk a little bit about special duty rules. How's that sound? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm down to listen to like literally anything you want to explain to me, but <laughs> I'm especially down for duty because our torts professor told us today in class that one of our exam issue spotters is going to be about duty. And Whoa. I don't know why he revealed that, but this is great. <laughs> this is great. 
are you sure I'm not your torts professor? (laughs) (laughs) Please. Yeah. Well, I should also say, and I realize that like neither one of us has ever said this, I think explicitly on the podcast, but just because we're like studying together and telling each other information does not necessarily mean it's right. (laughs) So, Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. Look, this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So this is like I said, we're fumbling. So anything that I'm about to say, if, if you're listening to this and you know a thing or two about negligence or (laughs) duty or breach or causation, and you raise an eyebrow or two or three or four, um, that's probably because I'm wrong. Well, so feel free. To- yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, mind your own beeswax. <laughs> Some of us have grown extra eyebrows. It's this is a stressful time. Yeah. Um, okay. So I think without further ado, we'll jump in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would love that. Pulls out notebook. Excellent. <laughs> okay. So I want to begin with a refresher, and I'll make it very brief because we've gone over this, but negligence (laughs) so sorry but repetition is key right yeah yeah and you're definitely not going to forget the prima facie case of negligence at this point so yeah when you're talking about negligence you have to establish four things the first is duty so a duty owed to to others breach meaning you have somehow kind of messed up on that duty you haven't come through with it um cause which is broken down into two different types. There's proximate cause and cause in fact and damages. So how were you harmed? Show us you actually suffered damages from this person's breach of a duty, right? Yeah. Great. That sounds very concise. Yeah, I really like that. (laughs) Okay, great. So last week we really talked about the third element, cause. And more specifically, we talked about cause in fact using this sort of insane hypothetical situation that I created where a few dozen house cats mauled my very reasonable aunt Kathy after they accidentally consumed snow leopard grade catnip and she got tangled up in a bunch of multicolor feather toys. Let's not revisit the trauma. Everybody was traumatized. Okay. She's okay. No. She's fine. She's very good. Cats have returned to normal. Aunt Kathy's wounds have healed. Um, <laughs> she's, she's good. So this week, I'm going to zoom in on the first element, duty. So you, Lydia, yeah, me, my hairdresser, the checker at Harris Teeter, our listeners, like Celia from Los Angeles or <gasps> Kate from Berkeley. Oh, yeah. My... Torts professor, Dean Armijo, who I'm sure has never listened to this podcast, (laughs) even though I sent him the link. (laughs) Rachel from Boston. Matt, our awesome listener who writes to us. And Ricky from Ireland. All of these people might have a couple things in common. But one of them is that they all owe each other and everyone else a duty to act reasonably. Right? Are you sure? I have to Ah. act reasonably towards my friends and strangers as well. Yes, yes, it's boring. Okay. But just think, what would Aunt Kathy do? Remember. Right, right. Reasonable. Okay. So a quick refresher on what we mean when we say reasonable. In law, everybody's actions are judged based on this kind of omniscient, fictitious, perfect person known as reasonably prudent person under the circumstances. 
So the court actually conjured this person up in Von V. Menlove by asking the question, what would a reasonable, prudent person think, act, or behave like in a certain situation? Um, so for example, if I were to run naked out into the street just for fun, <laughs> would most people consider that reasonable? This is not a trick question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of like, if you don't hurt anybody. I mean, if, if no one's watching, right? If it's the middle of the night. Okay. You said, yeah. I mean, no, it's not reasonable. Yeah. No. Pretty unreasonable. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Anyway, so we all owe each other and everybody else in society a duty to act reasonably so as to avoid injury, damages, harm, and most of all, to avoid any tort claims brought against us, which... <laughs> <laughs> Since, you know, sometimes not wanting to harm others just, like, isn't enough reason to not do something. You need the added incentive right. uh, of not wanting to get sued. Yeah. <laughs> so, in the law, you have this reasonably prudent person under the circumstances. And they know things that most of us know, like, fire will burn you. Or driving while impaired is a bad idea. Or pointing firework at a crowd of people and setting it off will probably harm them. Yeah. Right? Horrible idea. Yeah. So in other words, common sense is the backbone of a huge piece of tort law, like a big piece. <laughs> but of course, because the law is complex and there are a lot of little caveats, comebacks, or clapbacks, as I am hearing the kids <laughs> on Instagram say, <laughs> simply spotting a duty or sorry, simply stopping at duty being what a reasonable person would do isn't just going to be enough. So that's why there are special duty rules. Dun, 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 dun. So okay, fun. so we're going to talk about special duty. But like I, I like already have a problem with the reasonable person thing because it feels so 20th century. I know. <laughs> You're like, but- I would run naked into the street. Hello, <laughs> this is reasonable. Just the idea that like a, a group of people can decide what's reasonable, but it's it's just one of those things that like nags me, and I just have to set it aside if I have any chance of succeeding in law school. Oh, yeah. I know? actually yes, yes I do. I emailed my professor in uh, Civ Pro about this today because I disagreed with the reasoning on one of his answers, <laughs> and I oh, sat well. with it for like thirty minutes, and I just got yeah. more and more frustrated, and I thought, you know what? No, you're wrong. The goat pooping in the river was the proximate cause of the battery. It's it's a whole thing. We'll talk about it later. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So there are certain special duty rules, and I'm going to start with talking about uh, the duty to rescue or protect. So, Lydia. Yeah. If you saw someone drowning, would you save them? Yes, but I don't have to. Ooh, yes, you're correct. <laughs> um, well, the good news is, as long as you aren't responsible for actually creating the situation that put the person in imminent peril's way, you have no duty to rescue or protect them. So if you were like walking along the side of a river and you saw somebody drowning, as long as you weren't the person who put them somehow in the river, you have no duty to them. Isn't that I, like so, I think that's awful. It is so awful. <laughs> I I see the reason for it. It's because like you don't want to. I mean, there could be like some pretty perverse stuff that happens if we create this duty. Yeah, but there must be a middle ground between like not ever helping anyone and people laying traps for each other. 
Yeah. Well, you know? there there are actually good Samaritan laws. Some jurisdictions have good Samaritan laws that hold people accountable to do something when they see someone in harm's way. Um, but that's not the majority of jurisdictions. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, I would love to think that if I saw someone drowning, I would be that person that jumped in to try to help them. But I, I've never been in that situation, so I can only speculate. And there's this part of me that thinks I might be immobilized by fear or like mollified by the thought that surely someone else will jump in and do it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I had just now I'm just remembering in my dream last night, there was like a kid that ran into the waves on the beach and I like ran after the kid. And then like when I was underwater, my arms wouldn't work and I couldn't pick them up from the bottom. Sorry, Whoa. I got really dark. <laughs> then I woke up. Whoa. So let's move on though, because <laughs> yeah. we don't have to analyze my dreams. But okay, well, anyways, the, I tried to help, the, right? No, the, the dream is actually really interesting because so in your dream, you were trying to save this person, right? Yep. Okay, so there is a little like piece of this duty to rescue. And it's that if you begin trying to rescue someone, you are bound by duty to complete that rescue by any reasonable means possible or to not in order to not leave that person in a worse off position than they were before you attempted the rescue. So it, it makes sense to me because like someone else could have jumped in if, if you did Exactly. It, you know? Yes, exactly. Because, you know, if I were standing on the side of the river and I saw someone jump in like how I thought they might, and then they decided to stop rescuing, that person has been in the water for however much more time because other people stopped moving. Anyway. Yeah. Okay. So here's my mini hypo. <clears throat> it's a hot summer day in El Paso, Texas. And famous painter Bob Ross has his easel set up along the sprawling banks of the Rio Grande. With each stroke of his brush, he breathes life into the lush western landscape before him. However, the details of the water's ebbs and flow elude him from a distance. So he inches closer and closer to the river, oh, narrowing no. No. his attention onto the hypnotic rush of water. And then... <gasps> Bob's in the river, no, screaming <laughs> for help because he can't swim. There are several nearby swimmers and sunbathers, all of whom see him flailing. Do they have a duty to rescue Bob? I mean, legally, no, but morally, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, does it matter that all of the onlookers, every single onlooker, can swim? <laughs> It doesn't matter legally, but <laughs> morally, yes. <laughs> Does it matter that it was Bob's own negligence that caused him to end up in the river? It doesn't it matter does... for, for, pe well, for other people having a duty. Yes, correct. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to add another, another player to this, to this game. You ready? Yeah. Wait, I just had an idea. What's that? Is the middle ground maybe between like doing nothing, like the step above doing nothing. Sorry, the thing in between doing nothing and putting yourself totally into harm's way to, to help a stranger. Mm -hmm. Like, why isn't there just a duty to call 911? That has to be written somewhere, right? I mean, think I about all the different signs that I'm you just see. Just thinking of the Kitty Genovese case, like you don't have to go down there and like, fight the guy 
but you could at least call an ambulance or something. Yeah. I don't know. That's Maybe a really, that yeah. would take too long. Okay. Sorry. Hmm. You were adding another player. Oh, yeah. Before. Okay. I'm about to steer, steer this in a different uh, direction. Okay. So Marsha Brady <laughs> sees Bob okay. in distress and jumps in to save him. She makes it about halfway to Bob before she remembers her hair just looks awful when wet. And so she chooses to turn around and head back to her sunbathing position on the banks. Will Marsha be liable for any harm Bob suffers as a result of her retreating from her rescue attempt? Is it apparent to anyone other than her that it was a rescue attempt? Does it look like she just went swimming? It's apparent to other okay, people that okay. she's attempting a rescue. Yeah. Um, it seems like she'd be like a little bit liable, but it's not guaranteed that she would have actually saved his life. Like he could be already like drowning. A good point. You know? A very good point. Yeah. And this is what I love about torts because when I wrote this question, I thought just of a strict answer, but I had not thought about the, the idea that perhaps like he was already in a, like in a dire position and like he was going to drown anyway. I don't know. Yeah. It reminds me of like the loss of chance doctrine, like his, uh, his, like the probability that he was going to live just decreased, mm. but like, she's not totally responsible for it. Did you call it the loss of chance doctrine? <clears throat> Yeah, but I might be misusing that. <laughs> I think I've called it the last chance doctrine. Oh, but... oh, oh. Loss of chance is from causation. Interesting. From like. Okay. But last chance sounds like duty. I'm going to go with what you've you've researched us more often. <laughs> I mean, more recently. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> my mind is going. <laughs> Please start talking, so I'll stop. Okay. So what if instead of jumping in to save Bob, Marsha... Uh, stood on the banks and threw a lasso at him until it wrapped around his neck and she pulled him back to land. And no, as a result, his neck. it's okay, <laughs> look as a result, <laughs> Bob suffers injuries related to strangulation. Were Marsha's actions reasonable? It depends on if she can swim or not. Like it, what if, she, I mean, if she could swim and she did that instead, it seems like the untaken mm -hmm. precaution is just to she swim. She can swim. She can swim. All of Aww. the onlookers can swim. She just Aww. doesn't like her hair when it's wet. Oh, man. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. <laughs> Had she, like, asked around to see if anyone was willing to do it, and this was the only thing that anyone was willing to do, so she... I mean, I guess I guess that's... Ugh. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, she's liable for that. Surely. Tell me she is, Megan. She, yeah, she's pretty liable. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so let's say Marsha actually gets her act together and starts being reasonable. And let's say that Bob Ross didn't fall into the river because he was hypnotized by the rushing water, but was instead pushed in by Dwayne the Rock Johnson. In this, in this case... I could never imagine him doing that, just in his defense. I know. I know. He... Look... This is the hypo. I don't know what to tell you. I just read the words. So, okay. Dwayne The Rock Johnson pushes Bob Ross into the Rio Grande. In this case, upon successfully rescuing Bob Ross, Marsha could sue The Rock for any damages she suffered as a result of her rescue attempt. Because if not for The Rock's action, there would have been no need for Marsha to save Bob. And that is known as the rescue doctrine. Hmm. So if you are placed in a situation where you have to rescue somebody because of 
a circumstance that was created by a third party's negligence, you, after successfully rescuing this person, can sue the person who started this all to begin with because of their stupid negligence for damages. <laughs> it's great. Interesting. Okay. Is that so a I, duty issue? Well, the rescue doctrine fall- has a duty to Marsha. Maybe? No. No, no. Okay. Mar- Marsha had a duty to Bob Ross. The Rock has no. Well, The Rock has a duty to everybody to act reasonably. Okay. But he acted negligently, or actually, no, he he acted intentionally in battering Bob Ross by pushing him into the Rio Grande. Um, so this is not this this particular piece is not itself a special duty, but the rescue doctrine okay. falls underneath the special duty to rescue. Do you see what that I mean? Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So one last piece of this before we move on to the next typo. So say Marsha, after this whole Bob Ross Rio Grande rescue situation, starts to see a therapist to talk through her trauma. And during one of her sessions, she says to the HBO hit series, The Sopranos psychiatrist, Dr. Melfi, <laughs> Dr. Melfi, I've got to tell you, ever since my Bob Ross river rescue thing, I've been thinking. The only way I will ever get over this is to slit the throat of Dwayne The Rock Johnson. <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and do that tonight. The law now says that Dr. Melfi has a duty to warn The Rock because Marsha's threats were specific, immediate, and communicated. And this falls under like a, a doctor-patient, or it's not called a doctor-patient duty to warn, but it's like a doctor's duty to warn, specifically like a psychiatrist or a psychologist's duty to warn. So like it allows them to break privilege. Yes. And warn a third party. Exactly. Duty to a third party. Duty to a third party because the threats were specific, immediate, and communicated. I want to slit the rock's throat. (laughs) I'm going to do it tonight. That's how can you really get more specific? I'm not sure. Yeah, you got to warn him. Yeah, you got to tell him. Call him up. All right. So on to our second type of special duty, unless you have any questions. Yeah. Do you have a duty to like alert any kind of like law enforcement or are you kind of like enforcing things on your own by just like calling the rock? Oh, as a um, as like a medical professional. Yeah. You know, I d- we did not cover that in my class. I don't think we did either. But I'm just thinking like, I'm thinking of it from The Rock's perspective. If I got a call from a random doctor about someone who I didn't even realize rescued Bob Ross, I'd be like, yeah. meh, whatever. But yeah. if it was like someone from the state being like, heads up, I'd be like, oh. You're absolutely right. Now that I'm thinking like, yeah, totally. I mean, he might not even know Marsha Brady. He might yeah. be like, this is a classic Nigerian like, prince situation. <laughs> I don't need this kind of negativity or solicitation in my life. Yeah, yeah. I see what you mean. Any more questions? Good question. <laughs> no. <laughs> that I can't answer. <laughs> okay. This is, I'm so annoying in class. Uh, no, I... Anytime I feel like I'm being annoying in class, I think of you. And I say, <laughs> would Lydia ask this question? Heck yes, she would. I'm asking it. <laughs> okay. So this next special duty rule is 
called negligent infliction of emotional distress. And I think of this as like the stepchild or the stepsister of intentional infliction of emotional distress. Um, so it's a little bit different. And I bet you can guess how it's where you don't necessarily mean to inflict emotional distress on somebody, but it happens. Um, and one of my favorite like elements of torts element is not the right word, uh, but I'm going to use it. One of my little, my favorite elements of torts falls under this and it's called the zone of danger. And then I always put semicolon the danger zone in all caps. <laughs> Uh, see how fun law school can be. <laughs> so negligent infliction. This podcast, you would just have that in your notebook and and keep it to yourself. Exactly. Like who exactly. knows how many weird jokes are in our classmates' notebooks? We'll never see. I know. If you're listening to this and you doodle weird things in your notebook, please send it in on our contact form. We need. We'll post right it now. on the blog. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So. Negligent infliction of emotional distress is when somebody's negligent action places another person in or very nearby a dangerous situation, um, and they call this the danger zone, and they suffer emotional distress as a result. So there are two different types of negligent infliction of emotional distress claims that you can make. There's a direct action, which is really straightforward. Um, so say, because of your negligence, Lydia, I was placed in a position of imminent peril and I'm seeking to recover because that whole incident left me emotional, dis- emotionally distressed, Aww. right? I know. Meow. Sorry. And then more interestingly and more intricately is the bystander action. So this is when somebody suffers emotional distress in reaction to somebody else's injury caused by a third person. The only catch is the only people that can recover under a bystander action are closely related family members. And they have to be also like within the zone of danger for this to happen. (laughs) Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So like if you hear about it on the phone and not the zone of danger. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, you have to be like there in person seeing it happen with your own two eyes this our conversation in class about this particular rule was so interesting i mean not to get too heavy with it but like we were talking about people like family members right to recover based on negligent infliction of emotional distress and it got brought up like 9 11 like what if like the family members who got called from the planes that were going down like that's not negligent infliction of emotional distress i mean it got the media, just our ability to like consume things over and over and over again. Really interesting. But that's a that's a deep rabbit hole. Yeah. And you can't sue. Um, yeah. There's, yeah. I mean, even if it was negligent infliction of emotional distress, there's no one you can sue. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So much of the world is a negligent infliction of emotional distress. I know. We didn't even talk about it in class. So I'm glad you're telling me about it because I'm like... Oh, this describes like a lot. Yeah, I'm hashtag triggered. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. Oh, okay, but no, actually, by <laughs> that's like a, a very surface level funny joke, but really, it's not funny because bystander actions like come out of real life drama. So, yeah, we're, we're gonna rein this back in and make it light again. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Hypo. Joe Biden is walking down the street and Hillary Clinton 
driving a Ferrari, comes careening around the corner going 75 in a 25. She does not see Joe, but he sees her and jumps in time, but just barely in time. So, so much so that his coattails are brushed by the passenger side mirror. He's wearing coattails? He is <laughs> He's in white tie. <laughs> a 19th century I see. gentleman. Yes. Okay. Um, so was Joe in the zone of danger? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Had he not reacted, he would have been hurt very badly. Okay. So let's say Joe had been walking his dog when this happened and Hillary ran over his dog but narrowly missed Joe. Can you Joe recover? That this would be lighter. <laughs> You're a cat person. I made it a dog. <laughs> there's a just as a quick aside, there's a, a website you can check before going to see a movie just to see if the dog in the movie dies or not. I post on the blog. It's like I think really important. Very good. website. <laughs> um <laughs> Was he in the zone of danger that time? Yeah. No. Can what? he recover? Oh, That's, sorry. No, no, no. Sorry, sorry. Yes, he was in the zone of danger, but we're talking about his dog being run over. So can he recover under bystander negligent infliction of emotional distress? I mean, I want the answer to be yes, because that dog was part of the family. Unless he just stole someone's dog. But I am also <laughs> guessing that the law doesn't view the dog as a, as having... Like that place. Bonus question. What does the law view a dog as? Um, uh, Property, unfortunately. What's the cooler word for property? Chattel. Chattel. Ding, 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 ding. (laughs) But chattel's like cattle. So it's weird to be like, yes, a dog is a cow. Yes. I know. I always think we're talking about cows. We are not. (laughs) Um, Was I right? I was just guessing. You're right. Chattel. Yes. He could actually bring claims um, for conversion of his chattel because the dog died. So he forever lost the value of that piece of property. But then he would get like what the market value of the dog or something. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Well, that's horrible. What if the animal was like registered as an emotional support animal? He could probably get a little bit more, but he definitely can't use that as a bystander action. I the law that. very specifically says it can't be dogs. <laughs> they know the day that we talked about this in class, it, it got heated. <laughs> there are a lot what of dog people. Larger charismatic charismatic megafauna. Like what about if you're like riding a horse? Megafauna. Um, <laughs> nerd. Uh, I don't know. It has to be a family member. Okay. Okay. So now let's say Joe Biden is walking with his best friend in the whole wide world, uh, Barack Obama, and Hillary hits Barack right in front of Joe, narrowly avoiding hitting Joe too. Can Joe claim negligent infliction of emotional distress? Man. Even though it's Barack Obama. (laughs) I think no. Yeah. Yeah, no. They might say they're family, but they yeah. are not family. Jeez. Yeah. Okay. So what if, speaking of family, what if Joe had been walking with his mother with whom he has a fraught, hate-filled relationship and who he, he could truly care to never see again? Let's say she's the one that gets <laughs> run over. Can he recover? Well, that's when we look to damages. Like, did it actually produce emotional distress? If it did, then yeah. 
Correct. Ding, ding, it's ding. like he might have like had a fraught relationship and then realized that he's freaked out. Yeah, absolutely. We actually we read a case. It it was in Nevada, I believe, where there was um a couple engaged to be married and they were they were like two weeks away from their wedding day, got into a fatal car accident. The the young woman survives and uh the court says, Yeah, you can't recover, like you guys weren't married. <laughs> so awful i hate that i know i know but i i also understand the need to draw the line somewhere yeah you know it's it's a dark sad line but anywho yeah any questions on a negligently inflicted emotional distress so it's just legal family members so like you can marry in what about like in-laws what about your your cousin-in-law no no so the way that i understand it it is like imagine like mom dad sister brother not even half sister brother like it's like what? the closest yeah i think it's like you would have this is a moment where i want eyebrows to be raising because you'll have to double check me on this i don't know how far it extends out but i do know that it's incredibly restrictive and think like nuclear family but surely, like, adoptees and, like, foster siblings? I'm going to have to look this up because oh, I'm God. about to be angry. <laughs> yeah. Oof. Please do look that up. Please yeah, do look will, that up. Okay. Next, we have primary implied assumption of risk. Okay? So, no duty is owed to a person who chooses to partake in an activity where risk is inherent obvious and can't be eliminated right so basically if you stand on the edge of a cliff and think i bet if i jump i could make it to the bottom without getting hurt nobody is liable for your injuries because for some reason you think you're indestructible so when you think about duty issue i thought that like when it came to defenses that everything was established and like yeah it's negligence but you don't have to pay because of this defense. Because of this special duty. So this is a duty thing. I guess I just didn't realize that. Yeah, I, I have it in the outline as under duty. And I've like looked huh. at a couple outlines and it's this this seems to be under duty. But basically because there is no duty owed. Like this is a very specific situa- situation where, I mean, I feel like it's fairly obvious. If somebody is doing something that is like, obvious and inherently dangerous there's nobody owes a duty to that person okay so i guess in that regard it is a special duty rule because it's just there are no like caveats or what ifs it's just are you being dumb yes no duty (laughs) great so i think that what i learned was like in the context of like a business like like a trampoline park um Mm -hmm the person like expressly assumes the risk when they go. That's and different. Then, okay. Oh, this is implied. Yeah. This is, this is oh. primary implied assumption of risk. Oh, Express implied. assumption of risk is like, you know, of understand and choose to undertake the risk anyway. That's actually secondary implied assumption of risk. Express assumption of risk is like signing away. Like, like right, you're, right. you're acknowledging you something. Yeah, like by that's like a contracts thing almost. Like you like look, 
you sign like a waiver or release that say, yeah, I know that this can be dangerous, but I'm going to do it anyway. Like, <laughs> here I go. Yeah. Okay. Implied assumption <clears throat> of risk. I need to study that more. because Impl- I mean, implied assumption of risk like requires, I think of it as being like a solitary thing. Like it requires no interaction with other people, really. Um, in fact, I guess here, I don't I- see how that's different from like the first scenario we talked about where someone like jumps in the river and then they can't swim. Like you don't owe them a duty then. So why would you owe them a duty if they like jumped off something even higher than a bridge? Like because to go swimming? he didn't jump into the river. He fell into the river. I think it, there was like an intent piece there. So if somebody, which, like, which is really interesting. Cause you know, if you're just a bystander on the banks of the Rio Grande, looking at Bob Ross flail, you don't necessarily know that it was an accident you might think he intentionally jumped in. Um, hmm. So that's that's an interesting thought there. It but, just seems like you don't owe them a duty either way. So that's kind of what you're saying. You're just categorizing them into like normal accidents and like really risky accidents. It just doesn't change anything. Yeah. So I think actually my my example for this one will like help kind of firm oh, okay. this up for you. Okay. So did you see that movie Free Solo? Um, no, I was too scared to watch it. Okay, so for those of you who have or have not seen it, um, in Free Solo, and this is everybody, this is, yeah, every, (laughs) so for everybody, (laughs) cats included, um, world famous rock climber Alex Hanel decides that he's going to be the first person to ever successfully complete a free solo climb from the base of El Capitan in Yosemite up. 3,200 feet of sheer granite rock without any climbing gear. To be clear, he is doing this with no gear, just his hands and his feet. Yeah, um, that's why I couldn't watch, even though yeah. I know the ending, but still. It's, it's breathtaking. Um, but he spends years preparing for this climb and being as diligent as possible. I mean, he's like, hands down, the most skilled rock climber in the world, according to anybody who's worth their salt in rock climbing. So... He knows how dangerous this is. And he knows that all the climbers that came before him who tried to do this died trying, but he does it anyway. So has Alex assumed the risks involved when he begins his climb? Yes. And does definitely (laughs) who owes Alex a duty? Nobody, nobody. But, But if it's in a national park, do the park rangers have a duty to people in the national park? I mean, probably, but you see what I mean? Yeah. 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 I, I agree with you that there is most definitely some park liability in there somewhere. And now that we're talking about it, I would be so interested to know how people who attempt to free solo places like El Capitan can get away with it. Like if they have to do it kind of like gorilla <laughs> or like, yeah, because surely no park is going to be like, sounds reasonable. Check. Right. Here we go. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Yes, that makes sense. That like okay. he didn't sign something, so it's not express. He just was like going for it. Exactly. Yeah. So you feel good about implied assumption of risk or primary implied assumption of risk? Uh, yeah. I don't see how it changes duty because it just seems like people don't have a duty to help each other already. <laughs> but but that's okay. That's yeah. Fine. It's just like extra. Is like it really, really. You really, really don't have a duty. Yeah. It really hammers at home. It's like, in my mind, it's one of the most clear and 
least convoluted things. Just don't be dumb. And if you do, <laughs> that's on you. Yeah. All right. Fourth special duty, landowners and occupier duties. Mm. So mm-hmm. um, a landowner or occupier is the person that has like the right to the land. So if you own a farm, like you're the landowner, um, I'm sitting in my apartment right now. I don't own this apartment, but I lease this apartment. So I would have an occupier duty. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, cool. So like you, these people have, have duties to folks uh, who come into contact with the spaces that they sort of govern. Um, so there are three types of people that come onto land that a landowner would maybe come in contact with and have a duty to. The first is a trespasser. Um, and a trespasser is defined pretty much how you think it is. Uh, somebody who intentionally enters someone else's land without permission. So as a landowner, you have a duty to that person not to do anything that is considered willful or reckless. Like setting up a trap for them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> call, call back to like episode eight or yeah. nine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You have a duty to not set up some sort of sawed off shotgun trap in a bedroom that you're not sleeping in just because you think they might come in. <laughs> exactly. So One here's of my listeners sent in a, a video, like a, um, there's some kind of like cartoon that explains that, uh, case. Anyways, I'll post it. It was really Ooh, cool. Yeah. I would love to see Thanks, that. Y'all. So hypo. Bonus points if you know who Tila Tequila is. <laughs> so Tila Tequila wanders onto Jimmy John's property in search for her one true love. While searching the property for her intended, she falls into a trap that Jimmy John has laid to catch trespassers, effectively trapping her in a cage. Is this act willful and or reckless? Yeah. You said the trap was set for trespassers, not for animals. Yeah, trespassers. Oh, well, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. No good. So has Jimmy John breached a duty to Tila? Uh, yeah. Even though she's a trespasser, he was supposed to not be a meanie. Yeah, the, the duty he breached is not to do anything willful or, willful or reckless. <laughs> Those are the words I was forgetting, yes. Yeah. Willful and reckless, yes. <laughs> I mean, come on, Jimmy yeah. John, just like, we just want some sandwiches, yeah. you know? Don't be a meanie. Give yeah. us sandwiches. Um, okay, so bonus question. Is Jimmy John's trapping of Tila false imprisonment? Yeah. Seems Why? like it. So we never learned about false imprisonment, but it seems like it's because she, he intentionally did it. Mm-hmm. He intentionally wanted to like trap someone and she is stuck in a physical, within physical boundaries. Yes. And, and there's no reasonable means of escape. Yes. She is aware that she's trapped there. Yes. Excellent. Excellent. You are raking up these bonus points. That was only from doing the hypo you assigned to us. Like straight up, we just did not learn about false imprisonment in my tours class. Wow. Your recall on that is impressive. (laughs) It was interesting. Heck yeah. Okay. 
So that's trespassers. The second type of person that a, a landowner or occupier owes a duty to is a licensee. <clears throat> and so a license, the, the term licensee just trips me up. I always confuse it yeah. with invitee, but yeah. I'll explain. <clears throat> Pardon me. So the landowner's duty to a licensee is a duty to warn of risks that are natural or artificial that the landowner actually knows of. So to go a little further on what a licensee is, um, basically they're a person who enter the land with expressed or implied consent. So think of this licensee as a person who is invited over for dinner, like a friend or a family member, somebody who the landowner w would expect to come over. And it would be maybe just like to hang, right? Yeah. So hypo number one. Auntie Anne is coming over to Matilda's house for a Thanksgiving feast. The driveway and steps leading to the front door are covered with black ice. And Matilda knows that Auntie Anne is not so sure on her feet these days. So I know. In the hustle and bustle of getting ready for dinner, Matilda forgets to mention that the black forgets to mention the black eyes to Auntie Anne. Matilda sees Auntie Anne's headlights pull up the driveway and races out to warn her before she get but before she gets out of the car. Sorry, I botched that. Okay. Races out to warn her before she gets out of her car, but it's too late. Auntie Anne steps out of her car and immediately falls on the ice. Matilda feels horrible because she had every intention to warn her poor aunt, but she had forgotten and not been quick enough. Has Matilda breached a duty to Auntie Anne? Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> she she should have tried harder. I mean, or when you like, send out like that. Or like the, the, you can't just be like, well, I meant to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I feel like that that's definitely the type of thing you write in the PS <laughs> section of your like holiday potluck email blast. PS. Yeah. yeah. Wear a funky sweater and there's black ice everywhere. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Wear your your fun sweater and like ice cleats or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Snowshoeing boots. Yeah. Yeah. So what if instead of black ice, Auntie Anne had fallen when she stepped into a pothole that Matilda had no knowledge of? Does that change Matilda's duty? I think Matilda's okay because she's just a person who lives in her house <laughs> and doesn't like need to inspect the property every day like a business owner would or something. Ooh. Like she can have pot like potholes in her yard. It's whatever. Just what you just said Sorry, yeah. go ahead. It's just, it's so interesting. It's like foreshadowing the next. I know. Thing. Oh, I am sorry if I give anything away, but okay. Yeah, I think she's okay. Yeah. So Matilda did not breach a duty um, by not warning her aunt of the pothole because she didn't know about the pothole. And the only duty that she owes to invitee, sorry, licensees. See, I tripped up. Um, is to warn them of, of dangers that she actually knows about. So yeah. she's chilling. I like the Barbary guys. Like, think of licensee as someone you like. Licensee? Like. I licensees you. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I like that. That's actually a great way to remember it. I know. <laughs> Those videos are so good. <laughs> I like you. Uh, um, <laughs> so that brings us to our third category of person that a landowner owes a duty to and that is an invitee which again 
is just so ridiculous because you would logically assume that yes. an invitee is someone yep. who was invited. Yes. Yep. No. But just erase that from your mind. Yeah. You don't know English, you dumb dumb. <laughs> yeah. No, an invitee is somebody who comes onto the land with express or implied consent because their being there will benefit the landowner in some way or their land is open to the public. So think like a mailman coming onto your property to deliver mail or like a meter reader. Meter readers always terrified me growing up. I'd be like hanging out in my bedroom and the, me <laughs> yeah. the meter was like right next to the <laughs> windows. I'd be like, who was this man in the backyard? <laughs> Yeah, And it just seems like the thing that you would say that you were doing if you were not doing that. Right? <laughs> What's like, cool? I'm coming to you? read like, your oh, meter. I'm just, I'm just looking at this thing on your house. Don't mind me. Yeah. What even? Oh, God. Okay. Yep. Excuse me out even just remembering it. Okay. But <laughs> so think of an invitee as someone that you don't likey. <laughs> 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 Somebody like a mailman. Okay. Okay. I don't dislike. Okay. But sure. Somebody that you don't like, Lydia. We're doing this. Hypo. <laughs> <laughs> so mailman Mike, who is my actual in real life mailman, who introduced himself to me as mailman Mike the day I moved in. And you dislike him? I, I do like you, mailman okay. Mike. But for, <laughs> but for this particular hypo, I do not okay. like you, mailman Mike. <laughs> okay. So mailman, gosh, mailman Mike comes to dutifully deliver your mail. And when he opens the mailbox, his hand is sliced by a loose piece of tin. He's Ooh. now breathing profusely and worries about tetanus. Did the landowner have a duty to warn mailman Mike? Uh, wait, it's still someone's house? Yeah, and and they knew that someone would be like using the mailbox, and they knew I that there was an issue there, or they just had a duty to inspect. They to had see. a duty to inspect to make sure. So, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so a do a landowner has a duty to be proactive in looking for potential hazards to invitees, um, and take steps to eliminate those harms. So, in other words, the person whose mail was being delivered, not me, because I'm incredibly vigilant. <laughs> um, <laughs> Should have been checking to make sure that the mailbox wasn't dangerous. Huh. Savvy? Yeah. Okay. Well, that brings us to our, our last special duty rule. Um, and this one is very fun. It is the duty owed to children, a.k.a. attractive nuisance doctrine. <laughs> Wait, I want to say a quick note about the land use thing. It's oh, like yeah. It's less... It's less of a thing now, IRL, like in court cases. Really? I did not know this. Or, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's what my textbook said was there's like certain, a minority of jurisdictions, but there's a trend towards like eliminating the, these distinctions. Um, but anyways, that doesn't matter to us because we will be tested on it <laughs> here and probably the bar. There. So whatever. So onward to attractive yes, nuisance and children. Yeah. Okay. So as my torts professor, who surely is not listening to this podcast, <laughs> likes to say, kids be messing. 
Meaning, <laughs> if there's anything even potentially interesting to a kid, they are going to be getting into it somehow. And because they're kids who are probably incapable of acting reasonably, um, you can't hold them to the same standard as an adult. And of course, because this is law, there are exceptions to this, but we're not going to get deep into that. Cool? Yeah. Okay. So a landowner owes a duty to these messing children. <laughs> Even the ones that aren't messing super hard just are being kids. If a landowner knows children trespass on their land and knows that something artificial on the land poses an unreasonable risk to these children, and if elimination of that risk is comparative, comparatively slight to the harm that could be done to the children, that landowner has to get away, has to, has to eliminate that risk. They have to eliminate that potentially harmful thing altogether. I so, love this. I love this one. <laughs> it's so good. How could you not expect the children to climb on that mountain of sand? Think yeah. of the children. Think of the children. <laughs> Were you never a child? <laughs> have you no no childlike wonder? Um, so this is known as the attractive nuisance doctrine. Just think, like, whenever I think of the attractive nuisance doctrine, I think of kids that gravitate towards shiny objects, even if the object is, like, a sharpened blade. <laughs> they just, they don't know any better. They're, they're yeah, kids, yeah. you know? Mm -hmm. Okay, so to warm you up with this one, here's a, here's a little bit of a, an underhanded slowball pitch for you. If I kept a lion in my front yard in a cage because I'm reasonable, <laughs> do you think that would pose an attractive nuisance? Would the kids gravitate to the big kitty? Um, yeah, front yard. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Even yeah. if it didn't, if the lion harmed anybody, they'd be liable. The, the human would be liable. Because it's a wild animal. Exactly. Yeah. So unless the human was part of a circus or zoo. Whoa, is that an actual rule that you've read? Yeah, there's an exception to the to the uh, wild animal caveat. District yeah. liability, really? Mm -hmm. Yeah, zoos and circuses are are chill. Dang, I did not know that. I think That's a good tidbit. <laughs> okay, I I'm raising an eyebrow. We're fact checking. <laughs> Okay, so are you ready for my real hypo? Oh, yes, 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 yes. My, my crowning achievement? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> so Count Dracula has retired from the vampire life and left Transylvania for warmer pastures, making a home for himself in Cape Tribulation, a small beach in Queensland, Australia. Shout out to Katie Gray. <sighs> So when he isn't busy whittling crucifixes to sell on his up-and-coming Etsy shop page, he's tending to his land, which includes a small inlet off the coast. Count Dracula often refers to it as a little slice of heaven on earth. <laughs> because his land is located adjacent to a popular beach, yet still difficult to access because it requires a long, arduous hike, keeping the more adventurous children away from the splish splashing in his personal paradise has proven to be difficult. Mm. While Count Dracula has never seen any of the children trespassing himself because he only goes out by the light of the moon, of course, yep. 
his neighbors report seeing children, and they seem to always leave behind a trace of their visit. Something like candy wrappers, empty soda bottles, Pokemon trading cards, things like that. <laughs> I can't believe you pronounced the E with the accent on it. That was amazing. <laughs> so this is more annoying to Count Dracula than anything, but he knows something his trespassers don't. These waters are dangerous and home to what National Geographic calls the most venomous creature in the world, the box jellyfish. Oh, no. Box jellyfish are beautiful (laughs) and lethal. (laughs) So (laughs) this keeps the count out out of his own water. But does he owe a duty to these children? And if so, what is that duty? Okay, I have a couple follow-up questions. Yep. Um, is the water his water or is it public water? Um, because it's like, you know, water coastline, right? <laughs> That's and, a good question. And um, like, f- he knows the children are trespassing, but are they just trespassing on the land or does he know that they're like getting close to the water? And the third question is, why is he whittling crucifixes? Because aren't those very dangerous for him? Um, I'll start with your last question <laughs> first. Uh, he is retired from that vampire life. I don't know if you are listening, but he no longer <laughs> is affected. He eats garlic fries. He whittles oh, okay, crucifixes. Okay. Okay. I, okay. I think I just really caught up. Okay. <laughs> Second, secondly, um, he... So he let's assume that he knows that the children kind of like splish splash in the shallow end, right? Of the water that he get, he knows that they get in the water because his neighbors have seen it. And he sees like trash remnants, like floating in the water. Okay. Water. Okay. If you said all this stuff, I'm really sorry that I, I no, 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 no. This is, I'm clarifying. Um, and, uh, lastly, for the sake of this hypo, let's assume that he owns the water. Okay, then he needs to warn them about it. You have to warn known trespassers of dangerous things on your land. He should have just put up a sign. Okay, okay. Yeah? So, yes, but there's more here. Well, I don't really know how the attractive nuisance thing plays into it. Because he can't really fix... He cannot eradicate the jellyfish. You... See, you're... You're like way ahead of like I was trying to trap you into thinking I was trying to trap you into forgetting the the whole piece that this has to be an artificial oh nuisance and not a natural one. Oh wow. <laughs> You're too smart for my hypos. No, no, I missed that point. If I if I if it was on an exam and I didn't say like it's natural not artificial, like I would have missed it. So Yeah. That's that's the thing. Yeah, sometimes it's like so obvious you forget to say it, but because this is a natural condition and it would be like way too expensive and probably break all kinds of uh like environmental laws. Yeah. He can't, he, he has no duty to eliminate these jellyfish. He still has a duty to warn them about it. Yes. Okay. Got it. So, if you were to sub the dangerous condition uh on his land from jellyfish to like a big pile of trash that the count just lets accumulate. Um, Mm -hmm. Then would he have a duty to eliminate the trash if it posed a risk to the children? I mean, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. 
Yeah. I hate, I hate that though. It's like, come on kids. Like it's a pile of trash. You can do better. If it was <laughs> yeah. a big pile of sand, that would be fun. Wait. Okay. It has to be artificial. Oh, for attractive nuisance. Mm-hmm. Okay. Not just for like if someone if you, not for known trespassers because it could be like a, a dangerous pothole or something that's natural. Okay. Yeah, and known trespassers. Right now we're talking specifically about children. Right. Okay. Yeah, known trespassers is just the duty to not do anything willful or reckless. And cool. I think an an argument can be made that not putting up a sign that there are poisonous box jellyfish <laughs> could be <laughs> reckless, especially if you know. I'm going to look up a pic of them. They're very pretty. Well, I mean, so while you're, while you're looking up that picture, that concludes my lesson for you. Oh my gosh. So there's just so many special duties. The different breaking up the different hypos was really helpful for me. I'm glad it was helpful for me too. Nice. (laughs) Sweet. Uh, Cool. That was amazing. I, I'm so glad that I'm going into the exam after you did that. Should we also do highs and lows? I know we're, it's not brief anymore at this point, but I could probably do mine real quick. I could do mine super quick. So for those of you who listen just for the highs and lows, <laughs> <laughs> here we go. <laughs> Lydia, why don't you talk? I feel like I've been talking so much. Oh, okay. Well, my high was listening to your explanation because it was really clear and funny. Um, <laughs> several other highs. <laughs> um, okay, this was like literally just minutes before we recorded, but someone on the meme page posted about this toddler. This is also old news, but it's like a toddler who was like really obsessed with this personal injury lawyer. Every time the ad came on TV, the kid would like make everyone stop and like sing along to it. And then they threw him a birthday party like themed around this personal injury lawyer. I just thought it was so amazing. So that was one high. Um, And another was this really lovely Friendsgiving I went to that was like, it wasn't even a potluck. It was like one of my classmates spent the whole day cooking for us and we just like Venmoed him. Cozy, and I got to hang out with people in other sections. And like before law school, I definitely didn't. I thought it. I thought it was weird that people would always talk about their like one else section, and I was like, yeah, but you can hang out with everybody. But I really don't spend as much time with people in other sections because we can't. Like we don't go to class together, and we can't really study together because classes are so different. Yeah. Like even your class and my class are so different. Like if we studied false imprisonment together, I wouldn't be any closer to understanding what my professor wants you know it's weird yeah. so that was really just super charming that is really cute my high um it was going to be puppy therapy the the school brought in a bunch of like emotional support animals <laughs> for us to to pet um but then today I got this really sweet card from my very reasonable aunt Kathy oh. <laughs> who our listeners will remember from last week, um, who is actually a real person. Um, <laughs> and it was just so thoughtful and really, really made my day. And she kicked me a few dollars for some treats. So I'm about yes. to go in she on sent some. She me a card too. Oh my God. I really? Yes. Yeah. Uh, she's too good. She's too good. What if all the people that we write about in our hypos are real? It's like stranger than fiction or like Ender's Game. 
something tells me I'm going to be waiting for my uh, <laughs> my card from Bob Ross for a very, very long time. <laughs> uh, uh, yes. Any uh, any lows? <laughs> we did it again. We're ending on lows. I know. <laughs> I truly, this has been a pretty great week. Um, I got a really bad paper cut on my right half thumb. <laughs> And I didn't realize this, but this part of my right thumb comes in contact with just about everything, which I suppose I should have known because it's my thumb on my dominant (laughs) hand. Um, But I've just been going through a lot of band-aids and and continually nicking it and reopening it over and over again. It's really annoying, but uh, I'll survive. What about you? Man. Um, my bleh of the week is just like outlining. I mean, the the good thing is that I like have outlines for all my classes now, but um, now it's like, it's just that sweet spot of mm-hmm. I've got all everything I've learned this semester, like condensed into this one document. And I've got practice tests to apply that information onto and like and practice for the exams. And then I also have like time. I have like a week to do this in. Um, so the low is that like, I have no excuse to not just like really focus. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't know. There's some, I mean, that should be a high, but instead for me, it's just like, ah, like I really, really have to like focus for like these next couple weeks. Um, but there's only so much caffeine you can have before, you experience a lot of like physical uh, issues. <laughs> um, be any more ambiguous about that. I love where my mind's going. Like, just like what's sweating and like heart racing and like you can't focus after a certain uh, number of cups of coffee. And anyways, um, yeah. Our lows That's... are truly not very low. It could be much Yeah, worse. no, no. It's really, I mean, it's it's a variation on like the low I've given for several weeks, which is just like, dealing with my um like this internal like self-control thing yeah um I don't know if you like I was I've been polling my classmates about this because I I just randomly recalled like high school English class where we learned about these these conflicts that reappear over and over in literature that are like man versus man man versus self man versus world and I'm like which which is it for law school I feel like for me, it's man versus self. Yeah, you know? absolutely. But man I mean, I am also way. antagonistic towards the structure. So maybe a little bit of man versus world. But I don't feel man versus man. Like, I actually really like my classmates. They're, they're supportive even during exams, it seems like. So, yeah. Let's wait until exams are over. And then yeah. I'm going to make some judgment calls. <laughs> your, your struggle is also internal, you feel like? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's like the material isn't that hard there's just a lot of it so like you have to just discipline yourself civil procedure is really that hard <laughs> okay yeah yeah yeah. I, oh my okay so it's kind of like man versus world for civil procedure for you yeah i could compartmentalize it <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> absolutely is that your low studying for oh wait no you said it was your paper cut paper cut yeah, yeah. it was my paper cut and just civil procedure existing generally <laughs> <laughs> yeah well wow that's our week that's our week i don't even have any announcements i don't have anything it's just exam time um 
I suppose we could end by saying if you're still listening to this and considering <laughs> us for the Elon University <laughs> multimodal writing competition, a thank you for hanging in. And we humbly submit ourselves for your consideration. It's an honor <laughs> to even be considered. <laughs> okay, Alrighty. Yeah. Well, good luck, Megan. Good luck, Lydia. <laughs> Talk okay, to bye. you.